So you must be the few, the proud, the praying ones. Yes? Okay, so our sermon tonight is called Let No One Out Pray Us. And it's sermon number 11 in this Draw Near series. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't start by saying that recently, all of us in this room have witnessed a somewhat shocking and profound event in 21st century history. I'm, of course, talking about the 10-part sermon series on prayer here at New Life. Correct? You knew that's where I was going, yes? Wow, what a way to major on majors. There's not a profounder discipline that we could choose to develop in our personal and communal practice for our entire lives. And as soon as Kathy Phillips sent me this list of the ten titles, it was as if the baby leaped in my womb. And I don't even have a womb. Let the hearer understand. And I told Pastor Steve I felt privileged that God had called me by his spirit to give this particular sermon. But what inspired this title? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Can you quote it? Can anybody quote it? That's it. Pray unceasingly. Now there's a Bible verse that you can handle, yes? Pray unceasingly. And I ask you, if you look carefully, to compare Luke 18.1. And Luke 18.1 says, Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart or give up. Pray unceasingly. It doesn't mean 24-7 we're constantly praying. Like, especially if you pray with your eyes shut, you don't want to be doing that on 270, right? Texting is already a big enough problem. So what we want to say here about Luke 18.1 is that the way of the kingship of God is the way of enduring hardship before enjoying the messianic banquet, the marriage dinner of the Lamb of God. The key to getting there is endurance. And prayer produces the ability to persevere like no other practice. And this title is also inspired by the story regarding the question from a Muslim regarding how many times a day Messiah followers play. So we used to host this Muslim family, and one day in a setting like this, they asked, hey, we pray five times a day. How many times a day do you Messiah followers pray? And the person answering the question said, as many times as we want. But I said, but is that true? And silence fell upon the face of the room. And then it's not meant to motivate competition. We're not here to compete for who can pray the most. It's meant for enfleshment or incarnation in our lives. Does that make sense? We want to not see the words pray unceasingly on a page. We want to enflesh that and incarnate that. So what is prayer ultimately all about? 
Well, how about the name of your series, Draw Near? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I'm, I'm unconvinced. How about this? Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. When you call out to me and you come to me in prayer, I will listen to you. Now follow this. You will seek me out and you will find me when you search for me with what? All of your heart. Does that remind you of Deuteronomy 6, 5? And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your being and all of your capacity. Let us never forget Deuteronomy 6, 5. And if you come and take this mini course on the love of God, we're going to explain how is it that God could require, why is it a you shall? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. How could that be commanded? And is love more affect and emotion than action or more action? Come take the course. You will seek me out and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Like a marriage, this is an all-of-your-heart relationship. Anyone here interested in a half-hearted spouse that talks to you on occasion and otherwise, li and otherwise lives independent of you? Any hands? Thank God none went up, yes? Neither is God or Messiah interested in such a thing. I want to give at this minute a fresh prayer testimony. Just three years ago, after a study of Jewish liturgical prayer, because you know our specialty is the Jewish heritage of our own faith, we established a more profound practice of prayer that I tell you more about later. But I'm talking about like starting your day on your pillow with a specific prayer. I'm talking about three times a day liturgical prayer like in the first century. I'm talking about more conversation all day long in the nitty-gritty of everyday life than you ever dreamed possible. And I just want to give a short testimony now about prayer in my own life. You ever think this culture is just so over the top, so noisy, so demanding? Does it ever weigh on your shoulders? Is it ever just too much? So I got to that place where I thought, you know, Lord, it's just too much. Even though I'm in liturgical prayer, I mean, it's just too much. What do I do? And so I went and I found a silent place. Now, I'm talking about finding a place like this with your eyes closed, totally attuned to the living God. I'm talking about finding a quiet space to commune with God no matter what's going on around you. And I'm talking about staying there and conversing with God and listening even. And so what happened to me is I went down with pneumonia. I just worked too many hours. And I got a very serious case of pneumonia. So sick that one day I said to God, is this it? The last two things I did in my life were these two things of service. And now I, I am gone? Is that it? And while I was down with pneumonia, I had read this incredible book that had a chapter on the kingship of God on earth. And so what I did in this quiet space is I just 
started to ask God about how we could more manifest on earth the kingship of God in the heavens. How could we do that? And I was in this very quiet place, listening and talking and listening and talking. And the essay on the kingship of God like appeared in my mind's eye and certain points from it were highlighted or explained to me in further detail if you know what I mean. So I was just in that space thinking, oh, oh, I see. And while I was there, most of you don't know, I've had a productive cough for 15 years. I mean so severe, I could be in a public place, like a coffee shop, just working, and a, coffee, uh, and a coughing attack would come on, I'd have to pack up and leave. Or even to speak like this, I used to have to take 15 medications to try to stop that cough for the short time I would give a sermon. But in that space, seeing more about the kingship of God and God taking off my shoulders something I had weighed, my down, weighed myself down with that wasn't mine to be weighed down with. It was God's. And so I said, oh, I see. I play my role. That's on you. I see. And then in that moment, something struck me and I said, is there any chance you could heal whatever's wrong with my esophagus or my lungs for 15 years that prevents me from being effectual and having to leave public spaces? I think I'm four weeks in now without a cough. That's just an amazing answer to prayer. Ask my wife who every morning just hears me from the minute I get up. Cough, 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 all day long. All I hear is my own coughing. All night long, all I hear is my own wheezing. I've had inhalers, I've had every medication, nothing ever worked. How about I'm not coughing tonight while I'm giving a sermon and I haven't taken 15 medications to do it? Because I heard you had a unit on healing prayer. God doesn't always heal. Look at what happened to Epaphroditus. What a miracle that he got, he got healed. So what is prayer ultimately all about? Knowing God and Messiah. In fact, how real God and Messiah are to us in everyday life and how useful we are in God's 21st century history is directly related to how much we engage God in prayer. Look, this includes both the liturgy, prayers created for us, in our own personal speaking to God, prayers created by us. In fact, prayer is one of the two most powerful disciplines we've ever had the privilege to practice. Notice the two, prayer and engaging the living God in his living word. They're like two sides of the same coin. This is the precise observation of James Kugel. Listen to this. Scripture is in one sense the opposite of prayer. Words from God instead of to God, but it makes the same connection to the living God. Let's reverse it. Prayer is in one sense the opposite of Scripture. Words to God instead of words from God, but it makes the same connection. Two of the most powerful 
disciplines produce two of the most powerful outcomes. When we pray, what happens? Formation, shaping the messianic worldview and way of life into us. What does messianic mean ever pertaining to Messiah? Who's Messiah? Yeshua. What do you say? Jesus. Who is he? Christ. Same difference. King. Formation. You want to be formed in the way of Messiah? Just pray. You want to be transformed? It'll completely change our worldview and way of life where that's needed. How about this motivational principle? Have you ever heard this from Richard Burr? One's way of life will never rise above the practice of one's prayer life. If, if, you, if you ever, I heard this this morning, if you ever look at another person and say, wow, I wish I had, I wish I was more like that when it came to prayer. It's just because what? You didn't want it bad enough. How bad do you want it? We should want it like the Cincinnati fans wanted it. We should want it like the Cubs fans wanted it. But that's just a little ball and a bat. What game are we in? Yeah, let's play this game. Motivational advice. In liturgical prayer, do not look upon the prayer as an obligatory task, but as a privilege granted by mercy and grace before God. Here I add some footnotes to the sermons on the privilege of prayer and the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer is a liturgical prayer that was likely recited at least three times a day by Yeshua's disciples in the first century. How is it a privilege? In the Jewish heritage of our way of life, humanity is understood as the one creation of God that prays. Now look at this. Thus the word nephesh, used in Genesis 2-7. Here it is. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living nephesh, a living being. That word nephesh is said to be synonymous with prayer in the Jewish sources. Wait till you see how we light that up. Liturgical prayer transforms. It involves speaking with our whole being, all of our senses, all of our capabilities, a range of specific postures, and sacred attentiveness to God. You ever think of it that way? Sacred attentiveness to God. Moreover, it involves inculcation. What does that mean? It weaves the content of the prayer into the fabric of the being of the one praying by God-designed repetition. Every time you recite that prayer, if you follow the first one, speaking with your whole being, sacred attentiveness it is inculcating the, fab the content of that prayer into the fabric of our being. Liturgical prayer transforms what can be learned from our Jewish liturgical, liturgical heritage, which includes the Lord's Prayer. The modat ani. 
Do you know that observant Jews, the minute they wake up in the morning from their pillow, are instructed to pray the following prayer, they pray it in Hebrew, with the lion-like resolve to live for their creator today. So one of my challenges tonight in helping us to have a robust prayer life is to say, how do you start your day? Because this is what revolutionized our own prayer life, is starting every day from the pillow. As soon as your eyes are open, you say, I give thanks before you, living and eternal king, for you have restored my breath within me with compassion. Great is your faithfulness. Can you imagine that? And the breath that's mentioned there is the breath we just discussed in Genesis. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You're now thanking God every morning from your pillow for being restored to that breath. And you're referring to God as king before you face this world we're living in. Can you imagine how that alone would transform our lives? We do it every morning. And then what about the Psalms? I just want to say, everybody tells you what's the best book to read on prayer. Have you read this book on prayer? Brother, it's so good. It tells you the power of prayer. It's only 368 pages. Read it, man. The power of prayer. And then she says, no, read this book. Oh, my God, you got to read this book. And you know what I say? Stop reading books on prayer and get busy praying. Amen? Yes, you could not imagine how just praying will bring us to a place that you will not be recognized for the former person you were because of all that God did in your life. Stop reading books on prayer, get busy praying. If you're going to read a book on prayer, kaboom, the Psalms. Because you're not just reading them, you're praying them. One of the ancient secrets of what? Endurance is praying with and like the psalmist. As Nahum Sarna observes in his 1993 book on the book of Psalms, exploring the ancient prayers of Israel, in the Psalms, the people of God individually and communally reach out to God. They do so in a manner that reflects their very human character and condition, no matter what that condition. Are you depressed and unable to pray today? Boom, grab a psalm and go. Are you beside yourself because you think you're about to be twirled up into the heavens like uh, Elijah? Get to a psalm and praise God, like 145 through 150. But if we pray the psalms, there's not in the 360 degrees of human experience, there's not a degree missing in the psalms. It was the early prayer book of the early followers of Messiah. Don't don't miss it. Psalm 23. Today could be a very hard day. We might wake up, say, modet ani, read a psalm, say the Lord's Prayer, but we might go out into the world and become overwhelmed. We could stop what we're doing for a minute, no matter where we are, and we could say, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. 
He leads me down the right path for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley is the most contemporary understanding of that translation. I fear no danger for you are with me. How about that being real in the real world when we're facing real stress, real anxiety, real pressure, real everything? How about we have a real shepherd and we can say, I lack nothing in that situation. And how about being with a community that reinforces that in us? How about the Adon Alam, which in Hebrew means Lord of the world? Here's an excerpt. Imagine saying this every day. Lord of the world, King Supreme. Before anything was formed, he alone reigned. When by his will all things were created, his sovereign name was made known. At the end, when all things cease to be, the exalted God alone will still be king. He was and he is and he will ever, forever be glorious. Does that sound like another prayer you know? How about the Kaddish? an excerpt of which I pray every day. Does this sound familiar? Magnified and sanctified may God's great name be throughout the world which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in our life and during our days and within the life of the entire house of Israel speedily and soon and say amen. Can you imagine if you started every day with that series of prayers? Where our worldview and readiness would be to not only engage the world, but be used by God to help others survive this world? And how about the Lord's Prayer afresh? It was likely prayed three times a day, we said. How about a little bit of an intensified explanation? If anybody wants a copy of this, you just go to MSI, you go to contact, and you send them a message. And guess where that goes? That's right, right to my dinner table, all right? Liturgical prayers. Listen to what Brian said that I'm gonna emphasize. Liturgical prayers, like the Lord's Prayer, are not prayed by a complacent person satisfied with the treasures of this age. This prayer is a prayer for the desperately dependent. Those to whom Yeshua promises the blessings of the kingship in Matthew 5, the prayer occurs in Matthew 6, who recognize that this world is not as it should be and that only God can set things straight. Let's walk through it. Our Father, notice it's our, because God called a people. Notice it's Father, one whom we are truly depending on for protection and provision. The one in the heavens you know that, that saying, you know, don't be so heavenly minded that you know earthly good? How about be so heavenly minded that you're of maximal earthly good? Saying the Our Father connects us to the heavens. When Yeshua came and he lived, died, resurrected, ascended, sat down at the right hand, he inaugurated the kingship of God on earth. According to Colossians, we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingship of the son of his love. We've had a kingdom transfer. And you know what this prayer is for now? It's to break the floor of heaven to get 
the kingship of the God in the heavens down to earth. It's three wondrous, wondrous, let your petitions in reference to God precede and inform the three us petitions in reference to the people of God. Let your name be sanctified. Meaning, let it be like no other name on this earth and all other named gods, may they be embarrassed by this name. Let your kingship come, let your will be done. Where? Here, as it is in the heavens. That's what we're praying. I usually dramatize it as you want to pull it down by your prayers. You're so, you're so amazed by the fact that we're in the foretaste of the kingship of God now, you want the full taste. You want all the kings that are ruling the earth because God was rejected as king to go away. And you want the one king of kings to descend and be our king. That's what you're praying for. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And don't lead us into testing, but deliver us from the evil one. The three us petitions, daily sustenance that comes from God while his people have to live in a world empire. The chief analogy being the provision of manna to Israel in the wilderness, bread for the difficult journey before we can enter the promised land. Forgiveness of every kind of debt from monetary to sin, in direct proportion to your obedience to forgive others. And number three, ultimate deliverance from difficult tests and protection against temptations. Deep study from Jewish sources on lead us not into testing temptation indicates it most probably means don't let us succumb to the test or temptation. Testing is inevitable, but enduring and passing the test is not. Life is hard, pray hard. What are we looking for in praying like this? The two most powerful outcomes, formation, shaping that Christian true Christ-like worldview and way of life in us and completely changing our worldview and life where needed. I want to give you three motivational athletic metaphors that will help us with a profound discipline of prayer. Now, uh, this is you. Can you see yourselves? That's this weekend. Did you notice it's this weekend? Do you see how much time I spend on the internet creating slides for you. This is the Messianic Marathon this weekend hosted by New Life. Look at you. Look at you all in shape. And look at the verse, the verses. Therefore, I don't run like one who runs aimlessly. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So our first metaphor that we want to apply to the way of life in Messiah is this athletic metaphor of running a marathon because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yes? Very good. 
Hope to see you all at the finish line. Our second athletic metaphor comes from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, I do not box like one beating the air. This comes to you from Epictetus, a first century writer. I'm just going to read a little excerpt from Epictetus about suppose you want to win an Olympic wrestling match. What are you going to do? How do you have to live? Supposing we make this our metaphor like it is in the scriptures and you want a metaphorical crown at the end of this contest when you meet Yeshua. For example, you might want to say, I wish to win an Olympic victory. Well, what things do you have to do first to achieve that goal and what must you do after that? And only when you have done that should you go after this goal. Listen, you have to be disciplined in every area of your life. You have to follow a strict diet, give up sweets, show up for training at specific times, at least one of which is earlier than the morning than others would ever get up. In hot or cold weather, which could be yesterday and today, you must not drink cold water nor wine just whenever you feel it. You must have turned yourself over to your trainer like you do to your doctor. And then when the wrestling match starts, you have to dig into the sand beside your opponent. Sometimes you dislocate your wrist, sprain your ankle, shallow quantities of sand from the wrestling sand pit, and take a whipping for any foul committed. Yes, and then sometimes you get beaten by your opponent along with all that. After you've considered all these points, I have made go. Go on into the Olympic Games if you still want to. Otherwise, I would see that you will be turning back like little children. Sometimes when children play, they pretend to be athletes and then gladiators and then musicians who play trumpets. And then they pretend to be actors and act out a play uh, that they've seen and admired. So you too as adults are now an athlete, then a gladiator, then a philosopher, then a rhetorician. But yet with your whole being, you are nothing. Like an ape, you imitate whatever you see, and one thing after another is always grabbing your attention, and then you easily become bored. For you have never gone after a goal with your whole being after you have seriously considered everything that is involved, but you act haphazardly and half-heartedly. That's not us, right? The writer of the Hebrew says, I have better things in mind concerning you. Those are our three athletic metaphors. So let no one outpray us. The title of this sermon does not denote prayer as a competition, but rather prayer as unceasing as prescribed in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and incarnated by us. Look, let's become like little children. Start from wherever you are. Never stop growing into the most profound practice of prayer, into the most profound knowing of God and Messiah, into the most profound usefulness in God's 21st century history. The challenge today, prayer in our profound messianic heritage is no one-minute devotional. Can we just give that up? Could we just quit believing that we should give God a minute? How can we give God a minute and then go to a baseball game for 10 hours? How does that work? Haven't we confused 
the metaphor with the reality? May we be as excited and passionate and focused on this messianic life we're in as so many were about a little piece of wood and a round ball. Will we accept today's challenge to become like little children, start from where we are and never stop growing into the most profound practice of prayer? This is a new technology we're using, <laughs> if you have not noticed. Marvin R. Wilson, in his latest book entitled Exploring Our Hebraic Heritage, A Christian Theology of Roots and Renewal, emphasizes the fact that traditional Jews in a given day praise or bless God a hundred times. We don't say that to crush us with conviction. We say that to say, <laughs> how about us who claim to be in the new covenant, have the gift of the Holy Spirit and be followers of Yeshua the Messiah? Could we approximate it? Could we do something to change the way we pray? Let us not be professed followers of Yeshua the Messiah in the U.S. Living the U.S. way of life with a dash of Jesus added. Somebody just told me that one of the famous writers, Piper, just said something similar to this in a post. Let's be authentic followers of Yeshua the Messiah who have a profound prayer life and make a difference in God's 21st century history. Let's remember this. Our way of life will never rise above the practice of our prayer life. First time I ever walked into this building, they took me for a prayer time down the hall, and I saw on the wall the, the verse about this being a house of prayer. I, I nearly buckled at the knees and went down. May that be our reality. On January 5th and 12th, on Thursday nights, we're going to have that Love of God mini course. We're going to explain how it is that God could say, and you shall love the Lord your God. Is it affect, emotion, or action? You know what you're going to find out? Love is more action. So I invite you to uh, join us for that course and let's close in a word of prayer. So Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King, we thank you. We, we just pour out our gratitude to you for being privileged to sit under 11 weeks of prayer. Prayer sermons meant to bring us formation, transformation. We lay our lives before you like we did in the time with Brian tonight, most of us on our knees. And we ask that you would form us to be the very vessels you need us to be in your 21st century history. And we give you permission to transform us. And we just rebuke all guilt and anything that would hang us up tonight on actually where we are. And we ask you to receive us like little children and take us from where we are into the most robust prayer life so that we can attain to all that you have for us and that we could shine the light of the good news of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the dark age in which we live. And this we ask in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.